Let's turn to Psalm 103, please, brothers and sisters, friends, those who are joining us by live stream. We love you as well. We miss you. Wish you were here with us. And in spirit, we trust you are with us. We look at Psalm 103, now verse 19, and we'll read down through the end of the chapter, Psalm 103, 19. Look carefully at God's word, brothers and sisters. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye his hosts, ye ministers of his that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And so the psalm ends with a threefold call to bless the Lord once and again and again. Angels, strong angels, mighty angels, angelic hosts, all his works are to bless the Lord. He is worthy of praise. Amen. That's why we're here today. We're here today to praise and honor the Lord in this assembly. Verse 19 is our text, and I want you to put it before your mind, and I want you to to chew on it with me and feed on it for a good little while today and in the days to come. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. The Lord hath prepared or established, he's fixed, He has settled his throne. It is immovable. His throne is not tottering and leaning and about to tumble. His throne cannot be overturned, not by men, nor by nations of men. He hath established his throne in the heavens. Who can overthrow his throne? Can nations do it? What if enough men get together and say, we're going to overthrow the Lord? Well, I'll tell you what will happen. Psalm 2 says the Lord will laugh. He will laugh at their utter foolishness. Can angels then, maybe in league with men, angels and maybe angelic leagues, can they all get together and rise up in rebellion and defy God so as to topple his throne? No, beloved. His throne is established. It's fixed in heaven. And it is not subject to change. Amen? Now, in this world, kings that sit on a throne die. It happens even in the nation Israel, the great nation Israel that God gave the greatest blessings to. Isaiah 6, 1, for instance, says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up. So the earthly king dies. He was a good king. He reigned 52 years. He had great military conquest and a great military power. But at the end of his life, it says, as long as he sought the Lord, the Lord made him prosper. Hello. As long as you seek the Lord, the Lord made him prosper. The Lord still works that way. With not money prosperity, not that kind of prosperity necessarily, but with a better kind of prosperity, peace and joy 
and calmness when everybody else is panicking. He was helped as long as he sought the Lord, but it says he became strong near the end of his life. Now watch this. This is important because it can be our sad story too. Near the end of his life, he did something very stupid, very foolish. He went with a censer in his hand to go into the temple to offer incense. He intruded himself into the priest's office. And it says the priest tried to stop him and he became angry. And while his anger burned, leprosy appeared in his forehead. And he ran out of the temple in haste. God smote him with leprosy, a great king. And he says he died a leper. He lifted himself up in pride and God immediately humbled him and brought him down and he died. After a 52-year prosperous reign, earthly kings die, kingdoms rise, and kingdoms fall. You can read history books today about nations that no longer exist and great men that we have forgotten all about unless we look them up, great men that nobody knows now. Where's their greatness? They rose and they fell. They came and they passed. The Lord's throne abides forever. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens. And it is not subject to change. It is unshakable. And his kingdom ruleth over most. Thank you. Not most. His kingdom ruleth over all. The Lord is on his throne and he is reigning over all. He is reigning over COVID-19. The Lord is reigning over all. He's reigning over Satan. You say Satan is vile and, and malicious, crafty and wicked, and he's trying to ruin, he's ruining lives, and he is under the control of the sovereign God who is on his throne. Satan means it for ill, but God will boomerang it right back around and bring good out of it for his people. And in the end, he will judge Satan. The Lord has prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Earthly kings not only sit on the throne for a little while and die, but earthly kings have a limited kingdom. Uh, when Solomon was king of Israel in all his glory, he had a, a vast kingdom. It went from the Euphrates River all the way down to the Red Sea. And from the Mediterranean Sea over into Arabia, a vast swath of land. Solomon was king over this great empire in his heyday. But what about the people that lived above the Euphrates River? He did not rule there. His kingdom had limitations. It had boundaries. It, he could only exert his will as king over his little slice of, of, of kingdom. Where's the Lord's kingdom? Where's his boundaries? Does the Lord go this far, but he says, oh, I can't do any more on the other side because that's not my kingdom there. That's someone else's kingdom, and so I can't do my will over there because that's another king's kingdom. Beloved, our Bible says his kingdom rules over all. It is an unshakable throne, and it is an unlimited kingdom. Psalm 103, verse 19, 
tells us that our God reigns. And he reigns in all places. And he reigns over all events. And he reigns over all time. And he reigns over all details. We say among people, we say, well, he's a micromanager. He's a horrible supervisor because he micromanages. He puts his hand in every little detail. He won't let us do our job. He's, or maybe it's a she. she she's a micromanager. She'd just back off and delegate and let us do our job. We could, this company would run so much better. It's a negative thing in human relationships when we say someone is a, is a micromanager. We imp- we infer by that that they've got their hands in every detail and they want to control it all. Let me tell you, God is a micromanager. <laughs> every detail is under his dominion. He doesn't just rule over big things. He rules over everything. Everything. You say, everything, beloved? His kingdom rules over all. Jesus said... Not a sparrow falls to the ground without your father. What? He rules over the fall of a sparrow? It does not fall to the ground except the father's plan, the father's work, the father's time, the father's permission, the father's control. And he says, you're of more value than many sparrows. Think God's going to forget you? He rules, beloved. Our God is on the throne. This is our peace right here. This is our peace. It's why we don't have to live in in panic or, or, or worry. This is our rock that we stand on. Our God is on his throne and he is ruling over all things. His kingdom ruleth over all, all. This is why Romans 8, 28 is true. All things he causes to work together for good to them that love God. How can he cause all things to work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called ones? How can he do it? Because he rules over all. He takes this and this and this and this and this, and he makes it work together for the good of his people. And he can do that because he is sovereign, and his kingdom has no end His reign is universal, and he doesn't miss a thing. This is our God. It's why Ephesians 1.11 is true. He works all things after the counsel of his own will. Ephesians 1.11. He works all things. How many things? All things after the counsel of his own will. He does what he wants to do in all matters. He is the sovereign one. He is on his throne. He is ruling over all. Oh, you say, but what about all the competing wills in this world? What about wicked men? And what about Satan and all the the demons? Yeah, God just overrules them. He lets them do their thing. They do it freely. They do it because they want to. He doesn't make them do it. It's their real genuine heart's desire to do evil. And as they do evil, God is accomplishing his will, even through their evil doings. And they will answer for their evil one day. I give, you, uh, I give you Joseph in the Old Testament, Genesis 50, verse 20. Joseph says to his brothers, his brothers hated him, hated him. Sound like any modern families you know? People hate each other. 
can't get along, jealousy, fighting. It says they took him, sold him into slavery. They wanted to kill him, but they kept from killing him, and they sold him into slavery. He winds up in Egypt. They go back home and tell their daddy, I don't know what happened to him. Here's his coat, and it's bloody. I guess something ate him, and they lied to their old father. And Joseph is now in Egypt, and he is exalted to the second in command, and he stores up the food when the famine comes, and he preserves not only Egypt, but more importantly, he preserves Israel because it's going to be through Israel the Messiah is going to come, and so God will preserve them. And here comes his brothers begging for food, and they don't know him, and they bow down and bow down and bow down, just like he saw in his dreams, remember? And Joseph said, I am Joseph, and you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God sent me before you to preserve life. You did evil, but God overruled your evil, and now I'm here as your preserver. I'm going to not judge you and kill you. I'm going to save you and go home and tell Daddy I'm alive. So they did evil. It was evil. They lived with an evil and guilty conscience. They couldn't look at their Daddy straight. They lied to him to his face. They had a wicked, guilty conscience. They covered it over. And now the chickens come home to roost, and they've got to face Joseph. And Joseph says, let me tell you, you did evil. But God overruled your evil, and he brought good out of it. And so I'm not here to do anything but embrace you. And he he forgives them. What a story is the story of Joseph. But more importantly, and a better illustration, is the crucifixion of Jesus. Was that evil, what men did to Jesus? It is the most evil action ever done in this world. One that was absolutely sinless was taken and treated worse than an animal, a dog. Spat upon, mocked, whipped, unjustly accused, unfairly sentenced, stripped of his clothing, crucified. And Paul, when he preaches, and Peter, when he preaches, they lay the charge right at the Jewish leader's feet, and they say, with wicked hands you took him. And as you with wickedness did your wickedness to the Lord Jesus Christ, God was fulfilling his will in lifting up his son to die. So it was wicked that they did. It was evil that they did. And yet in their wicked, evil deed, God was accomplishing his greatest deed, the atoning death of his son. So yes, his kingdom rules over all even evil people and evil things. And I can't answer every what if and what about. You know, everybody's got a a story, a tragedy that they say, yeah, but what about that? And what about this situation? And all I know is the Bible says his kingdom rules over all. And when the dust settles, it's going to be clear that all happened according to his sovereign control. And he will bring good out of ashes. He will bring good out of devastation. He will bring good out of tragedy. Just as he did in the death of his son. His kingdom rules over all. He is the only wise God. The blessed and only potentate. King of kings and Lord of lords. If he rules over all, let me ask you this. Should all praise him? 
He rules over all. Well, are these that he rules over loyal subjects to him? Do they, are, are, are all people today recognizing his rule and saying, you're the ruler. You made everything. You control it. You gave the laws as to how it's to function. You're good and kind and worthy. We will gladly submit to you, our king. No. How many are loyal subjects to him today? How many are praising him? He rules over all, but not all are thanking him. Not all are bowing the knee. Not all are worshiping. His kingdom rules over all. He even rules over the unwilling. We're here today willingly. Nobody made me come today. Nobody made you come. We willingly desire to assemble with a group of believers to sing and take communion and and, and pray and, and preach God's word. Amen. But those that did not come and do not want to come and never come and has no desire to praise God, he rules over them. Just the same. He gives them breath for a little while. He makes the sun shine on them too, though they're evil. He lets his good rain fall on them, though they're wicked. He gives them many good blessings that they might have an opportunity to repent. And then one day he will bring judgment on them. And he will show himself to be the king of kings, even over the wicked, even over the most vile scoffer. He is the king, beloved. His throne is fixed. His kingdom is unlimited. There's no spot in this universe where God can't put his finger and say, that's mine. There's not a spot that he can't do that. Wherever he may touch, wherever he may claim, it's all his. Or as R.C. Sproul used to say, there is no maverick molecule in the universe. There's not a maverick molecule in the universe. There is not one molecule that's kicking up its little heels and doing its own thing, free from God's rule. He rules over all. His kingdom rules over all. He says in Isaiah 46, I declare the end from the beginning. And I do all my pleasure and my counsel will stand and I speak and it will happen. Isaiah 46, 9, 10, and 11. God is not trying to do things. He's just doing them. God is not to be pitied. He's to be worshipped. Oh, we say, well, God's on his throne. He's way up somewhere on his throne. And he's watching, and he really wants to do good things. But somehow he just lacks the power or the wisdom to pull it off. That's, That's a foolish notion, isn't it? Beloved, he is on his throne, and he is ruling And he's not straining and trying. It's not that he's a distant spectator with good benevolent desires, but somehow lacking the ability to make things happen. He is working his will. He's doing all his pleasure, working all things after the counsel of his own will, causing all to work together for the good of his people. We don't pity this God. He is a God that is to be worshipped, not pitied as if he's weak and unable. 
There's no alarm in heaven. There's no disorder. There's no surprises. Uh, The Trinity has never called an emergency meeting. Everything's right on schedule. God is working his plan. He's moving the pieces around on the chessboard of human history as the master that he is. And no man will ever put him in checkmate. He will accomplish his purpose. His kingdom rules over all. He rules over the great things and the small things. In the book of Proverbs, it says the lot. They used to cast lots to determine God's direction in their lives. And they did it all the way up into the book of Acts. And the last time we see the casting of the lot is in Acts chapter 1 where they were determining who would replace Judas. And after that, there's no more lots cast because in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes and He indwells the people of God in a new way. And now they don't cast lots. They seek the Spirit's direction through the Scriptures. But in the pre-Pentecost days, they would cast lots. In Proverbs 16 Verse 33 says, the lot is cast into the lap, and the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. God caused that little lot. We, we, we might could liken it to a, a dice, a set of dice. It would not, not exactly, but just to help us grasp what it, he would control how that fell and turned up. You say he controlled down to that level of detail? Proverbs 16:33. The lot is cast into the lap. The whole disposing thereof is is of the Lord. The fall of a single sparrow. In that same passage, he says, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. He doesn't miss a thing. Not a thing. And right after he says that, hairs of your head are all numbered. He says, you are of, therefore, fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. He rules over all. It says he binds the sweet influences of Pleiades and looses the bands of Orion. Those constellations, those stars in the sky, God is guiding them, directing them, moving them putting them there for his purpose. Job 38. It says he has numbered the stars and named them. Psalm 147. Numbered the stars and named them. It says he stops lions from eating fresh meat when Daniel is the meat. He stops the lion's mouths and they cannot kill Daniel. How can you stop the king of the beasts because he's the king of the beasts. He's the king of the kings. Our Lord is. He rules over all. He stops fire from doing what fire always does. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are casting the fiery furnace. And it says they're not burned up. Instead, there's a fourth one in there with them. And they're free and walking around and there's someone with them. It's the son of God. Daniel 3. It says in Psalm 148, the lightning and the snow 
and the winds and the clouds fulfill his word. Fire and hail, snow and vapor, stormy winds fulfilling his word. He rules over the weather. He says, lightning, go that way, but stop right there. And it goes at God's command. The wind blows, the clouds move. They drop rain, they withhold rain. At the decree of a sovereign God. Are you worshiping right now in your heart with full joy this God that we call our Father? This is our God. This should put some steel into your soul and some joy into your heart to think of such a God. He's not a little God. He's not a helpless God. He's not panicking and straining and trying. He's just ruling over all effortlessly and easily. His throne is fixed. His kingdom is unlimited. It says he treats the sea like a baby in Job 38. He puts swaddling clothes on it. The big ocean, that's God's baby. He puts a swaddling clothes on it. It says that in the book of Exodus, he made the water stand up at attention and made watery walls. And the children of Israel went through the Red Sea on dry ground. And those walls of water stood at attention. And when the Egyptians pursued, what happened to those watery walls? Those walls fell down. Amen? He rules over water. He rules over weather. He rules over stars and lions and fire. And in 2 Kings 6, it says that it caused an iron axe head to float up to the surface so they could retrieve it. Uh, 2 Kings 6, 6. In the days of Elisha, Iron was taught how to swim and how to float. You say, did that happen? Is it a myth? Is that a symbol? Is that an allegory? No, it's biblical miracle. It's the work of a living God who rules over all things. Is he ruling over you today, willingly? Have you bowed your heart to him? Are you his loyal subject Or are you kicking up your heels against a good king and he is ruling still and you're hurting no one but yourself by kicking your heels, right? In Matthew chapter 6, your heavenly father feeds the fowls of the air. He rules over sparrows and hares And he rules over nations. Acts chapter 17, verse 26 says that God determined the time that a nation would exist and the bounds of its habitation. God determined when and where nations would live. Acts 17, 26. God determined where nations would live and when they would live. It is his sovereign rule. We could go on and on. I love how John Ryland put it. He said, sovereign ruler of the skies, ever gracious, ever wise, all my times are in thy hand. 
all events at thy command. His decree who formed the earth fixed my first and second birth. Parents, native place, and time all appointed were by him. Did God determine all that? Yes. Would you expect less of God? Is he mostly God? Is he God on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays? What a God is our God. What a king is our king. What a Lord is our Lord. His throne is fixed. It is unshakable and movable. It cannot be overturned. His kingdom extends over all. Now think with me as we come to communion. God rules and reigns over salvation. Back in eternity past, God devised a saving plan. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan, the hymn writer says. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. In eternity past, God ordained that his beloved son would have a people And he gave that people to his son. And Jesus, when he prays, he says in John 17, seven different times in that chapter, Father, I thank you for these that you have given me. You've given me power over all flesh, and I will give eternal life to as many as you give me. 2 Timothy 1.9 says that he saved us and he called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose. And grace given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. His purpose to give grace to us began before the world began. The great plan of God in eternity past in election. And then he would send his son into this world to buy and claim and pay the price for this bride that he would get. And Jesus came, born of a virgin. He came into a wicked world. He came and he took our nature and he became true man. Fully God and fully man. And he would live that sinless, perfect, obedient, righteous life. He never cursed one time. He never flew off the handle, lost his temper one time. He never gave in to temptation one time. He didn't shake his face in his father's fist and say, I know you said this, but I'm going to do this. Not one time. He was the obedient, perfect son of the father's delight. He delighted in his son. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, said the father. And yet that beloved son who always did the father's will was taken outside the city of Jerusalem. And they made him carry a cross out there with him after they beat him within an inch of his life and he carried that cross outside the city and he laid down on it. They didn't force that on him. He said, no man takes my life from me. You know, it was customary that day when a man would be crucified, he would kick, cuss, spit, and scream. He would resist it with all his might. 
The Lord Jesus, it says, was like a lamb led to the slaughter, dumb, not a word of protest, no resistance. He's going to lay down his life. And they dive a spike and a spike and a spike, and he's lifted up. And from there, he begins to sweat and bleed. And he says, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he says, you'll be with me today in paradise, he says to one thief. And, and I thirst. And, and, and finally, he says, it is finished, and he dies. He bears the wrath of God for all who would ever believe on him. For all who would ever put their trust in Jesus, your debt has been paid in full. For those that have not put their trust in Jesus, you will pay for your own debt one day in the lake of fire. If you will humble yourself, if you will come to Jesus, he will not cast you out. If you will call on him, he will save you. I say this to any who may be listening and maybe even here today. This is not a game. It's not a story. It's not a pastime. It's not entertainment. This is life or death. It's truth. There is one way to miss hell. There's one way to the Father. It's through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Him. There's no other name under heaven whereby you must be saved. And He dies. And they put His body in a tomb. And three days later, He by his own resurrection power and by the work of the Father and the Spirit, he rises from the dead. And he shows himself alive. And after 40 days, he goes back to heaven and they saw him go up in a cloud. You say, where is this at? It's in the Bible, friends. Have you read it? It's in the history books. History vouches for his coming, his work. It's the most attested fact in all of history. What kind of arrogance does it take to deny Christ? And to deny the gospel. He said, well, I read on, the, on a website, there was an atheist that said, yeah, I know. I know there's a lot of scoffing in this world. And Jesus told us that as we get nearer and nearer to his end, that evil men would get worse and worse. And sin would abound. And God's going to take his restraint off. And men are going to get worse and worse. And women are going to get worse and worse. And more perverse and more rebellious and more defiant. They will not be controlled by anyone or anything. And yet in the sad reality is Satan is leading them by the nose. And he used to be leading us by the nose. We were his slave, beloved. We were his slave. Until a strong man came and bound up that slave master. Satan is a strong man. He's stronger than we are. Jesus comes and he ties Satan up, binds him, and he opens the door and he says, Now all you prisoners of his, you may go. Matthew 12 teaches us that Jesus binds that strong man and spoils his house. Or in the words of Genesis 3, he comes and he crushes Satan's head and Satan bites his heel. He receives a wound on his heel and Satan receives a death crush to his head. Do you know Christ this day, my friends? Do you know this sovereign one who rules over all, even over the realm of grace? People say, well, 
If he rules over all, then all I'm, all I'm going to do is sit back and do nothing. Well, you see, that's not what he has told us to do. He rules over all, and he has told us to live as his loyal subjects and to do his will. Pray, he said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because you're the king, I will do those things you have told me to do. I'm not to be passive and say, he rules over all, therefore I will sit on my hands and do nothing until he comes. I am to spend my life with all my might for this great king who has told me I'm to be doing certain things. Amen? And he rules over all, yes. And in his rule, he has told us, sinner, repent. Sinner, bow the knee. Sinner, open your ears and listen. Sinner, come down and humble yourself. And he gives us a little window to repent. I pray, beloved, that you'll rejoice this day in a sovereign, enthroned, glorious king who has a dominion and a reign and an empire that has no end. This is our God. It's why we can sleep at night. It's why we can pray at all times. Because we have an advocate with the Father. That's, our Lord is there. He is interceding for us. I can come right to Him as my Father because of the work of His Son on my behalf. I can pray. I can sleep at night. I can work a seemingly insignificant job because it's not insignificant. It's done under His eye. and He sees it and I can do it for His glory. It's why I don't have to fear breaking news. Because I've heard the best news, the gospel, and I've believed it. 